without a doubt, the worst job of today is this one. Stop being friendly. Stop loving one another. And listen. Nothing, even with my almost three-year-old daughter, I may be doing nothing today that feels so parental as this. Trying to rally an entire room of people. Friends, the Lord be with you. Hey, my name is Troy Hatfield. I have the immense honor of being one of the co-lead pastors of this church, along with Ashley Island. Ashley, who was baptizing and who will join me up here in just a couple of minutes. We are eager to share a few. Speaking of, on cue. Hey. Come on. Come on. It's, it's see, di- see this, this hair we're wa- rocking, yeah. we'll just stick it right It's right just back. expensive. I know. Take it, out of my, take it out of my check. And I don't understand the hair reality. Yeah, yeah so, I know. Um, let, allow me to additionally pass along my greetings to you, my sincerest welcome to Marshall Bible Church. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. We have made it to another Easter Sunday. We have, yeah. We have been through another season where the church all around the world tells the same story. The story that has multiple chapters that all get summarized underneath one heading or one title. The passion of Jesus. This story that unfolds like this. It moves from Jesus' jubilant entry into Jerusalem and then goes to his clearing of the temple and then it moves to his last supper with his friends and disciples and then it moves to his agony in the garden and then we see his betrayal and arrest and then the trials and the condemnation and eventually to the brutal crucifixion and the burial. All of this concentrated into like a jam-packed handful of hours, which end up leading us to this day, to this day where we look back on all of those chapters with new understanding, new understanding in light of the climax of this story that the church gathers to tell, the climax that is this, the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Yeah. And we tell this story every year because we do not yet know what we need to know the way we need to know it. Because we're so familiar with Easter and we're so familiar with the details of this story and yet we are so far away from understanding this mysterious work of God. And so today, I want to invite every one of us for a couple of minutes to see the, new story, the, oh, the story with new eyes, to hear the story with new ears, and to once again encounter and experience this mind-boggling story. And so I'm going to concentrate on Matthew's version of the resurrection today. If you want to follow along, chapter 28 of Matthew is where I'm going to be. And here's, what I'm, here's the punchline. I want to establish this for us, that the resurrection is scary. <laughs> In addition to being very good news, 
No, in addition to being the absolute best news, the resurrection is scary. It's a scary reality. This story, this scene is full of fear and full of scary stuff. Just look, we're going to do a fast drive-by of the details that Matthew includes. Matthew begins with a violent earthquake. Now, I know earthquakes aren't the kind of natural event that we're familiar with here in the Midwest. We're much more associated and comfortable with tornadoes and flash floods, right? But imagine an intense physical natural event and then all of the emotions that surround that. Fear being one of those leading emotions, okay? And all of this happens, this earthquake, violent earthquake happens because an angel of the Lord has come down. This angel triggers a collision between the natural world and the supernatural world. The earth shakes because this place has been punctured by the heavenly realms. In the Bible, whenever human beings come face to face with an angel, they freak out. Right? Human beings are terrified when you come face to face with the supernatural. Here's the thing though, this angel doesn't just show up. This angel starts messing around with stuff. Matthew tells us that the angel goes to the tomb and rolls the stone away. So ancient burial practices inside of the tomb, they, they would have rolled some sort of stone or boulder, something in front of it that would have been really, really tough to move. So this angel shows up, removes the stone, demonstrating the angel has greater power than human beings. And then for good measure, Matthew tells us that the angel then sits on top of the stone. How about that for a detail? It's probably a sign of triumph, but in my imagination, as twisted as it is, in my imagination, I think this is a little snarky arrogance. I think the angel's showing off. I imagine the angel leaning back on the stone after he rolled it away with a little wry smile, just waiting for some humans to show up and see what it did. (laughs) Sits on top of the stone. And then... Matthew starts filling in the gaps. The angel looks like lightning. Here's an example. We'll get a bunch of them where the storyteller is grasping for ways of talking about what is indescribable. The angel, this angelic being that looks like an electronic charge that usually happens in the sky. What does that mean? Another natural event, lightning, that causes many people to fear. And then it says the angel's clothes were white as snow. It's more wordplay being used here. But if you're from Michigan and it's early April and there's a mention of snow, fear comes into your heart, right? Right? Clothes as white as snow, please, anything, anything but white as snow. And if you're not sufficiently convinced that this angel is terrifying, Matthew then gives this description. He says there are some guards there. And the guards are so afraid of the angel, it says that they shook. They shook like the ground had been shaking. But also the guards then stood there like dead men. So these people were so afraid, these guards were so afraid that they moved and they couldn't move. So Matthew was trying to describe and find language and words to come up with a way to help us understand what's happening in this scene. The angel then speaks to the women 
And the angel says what the angelic beings always say to humans in the Bible. Do not be afraid. And at first, this might have been comforting. Frankly, I highly doubt it. (laughs) I highly doubt that's comforting when you see an angelic being and it says, don't be afraid. Like anybody who's like, hey, don't worry. That doesn't work, right? (laughs) Don't be afraid. I doubt that it was. But then on top of that, the angel says, in fact, come inside of this burial tomb. And when you come inside, notice that the person who was buried here isn't here anymore. That person is actually raised from the dead. How many of you would willingly walk into a burial tomb? Particularly into a burial tomb by the invitation of an angelic being. An angelic being that just proved that it's strong enough to cover up the the cover of the opening if you go inside of it. Right? And then on top of that, adds the extra detail. Oh, by the way, the person who was in here, that person's not here anymore. That person is alive again. Are you, can you see how frightening this scene is? It's full of these scary details. And then verse 8 of Matthew 28, it says this. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And that, friends, that is the perfect posture in the face of resurrection power. When confronted with something that can only be attributed as a work of God, the combination of fear and joy is absolutely appropriate. Being breathless in awe and wonder, we sang that at the beginning of this, that makes perfect sense in the face of the resurrection. And I can't help but wonder if this dual posture of fear and joy, that this posture is what enabled the women to actually perceive and see the risen Jesus. Jesus who they then meet as they're hurrying away. Jesus, these women running away, afraid yet filled with joy, encounter the risen Jesus, and Jesus says to them, Do not be afraid. For the second time, these women receive this encouragement. In the face of power that is truly indescribable, in the presence of scary, supernatural happenings, in their encounter with what should be final being overturned, death being overcome, in the face of that, these women And you and I, by gracious extension, are encouraged and charged with these words, do not be afraid. Friends, when it appears that all of heaven and earth are breaking loose, When there is no great way to describe what is happening all around us. When it seems like God is doing something or when we are so desperate to sense and see God move. When we are standing at that boundary of life that we know is called death. When we are eager for and when we are catching glimpses of God doing something altogether new. Or when we have the gracious yet terrifying opportunity 
to experience and witness God bursting onto the scene in decisive ways. In all of these moments, hear the words of the risen Jesus. Always true, always fresh. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so in light of how scary that resurrection power can be, I imagine there must have been a really good reason why the angel started with, do not be afraid, and not what we often start with on Easter morning, he is risen. Mm -hmm. Why did the angel start with do not be afraid? I wonder if the angel anticipated that the unexpected, upending nature of the visibly daunting might have been enough to deter these two women from pursuing the sole object of their search. Because see, the resurrection didn't just happen in general. It first happened in the sight of a few specific people, people with specific wants, with needs and desires. And so before we rightfully joyfully proclaim yet again, he is risen to the world, would you, the one sitting in your gray chair or watching from wherever you are this morning, you wearing that beautiful skirt or dress or those slacks that you put on this morning, would you in your seat, the one who hustled to get here, who perhaps looks better on the outside than you feel on the inside from where you sit, would you hear, don't be afraid? I don't know what unexpected upending might be shaking you this morning. Perhaps that upending is violent, like an earthquake. Perhaps all you see are heavy obstacles like tombstones being shifted around and what you thought was past is being exposed before your very eyes yet again. Perhaps you feel you cannot see that in at least one area of your life, you feel blinded to the possibility of what lies before you, where you might go next. To you I say, do not be afraid. We are not the first particular people to be confronted with an unexpected upending episode. Yeah. See, in the Old Testament, God's people found themselves in the upending reality of captivity. And I wonder how that exile felt like violence to them, how heavy stones of oppression were passed from one generation to the next, how hopeless it must have seemed, not being able to perceive the end from right in the midst of it. But then, in another one of today's Easter texts, Jeremiah chapter 31, we read in verse two, 
This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. Just like with the two Marys, there was an entire people who were looking and longing for something specific. They were longing for home. They were longing for a place to yet again be established, to settle in a place to call their home. And the prophet Jeremiah, declaring the word of the Lord, reveals that they will have what they so desire. They will enter into the Lord's rest. And then the Lord, through Jeremiah, spends the next few verses assuring them. It's a beautiful text. But before we go through this text, I ask you, what or who are you really looking for this Easter morning? What desire is gut deep in you that perhaps you thought you could leave at home, but yet instead you brought with you to this gathering of the faithful? What or who are you looking for today? What if, as you imagine standing at the tomb amidst the quaking, not yet fully having your bearings, you hear the angel say to you, not into the abyss, not to a crowd, but to you, do not be afraid because the Lord wants to assure you in the wake of resurrection. And so just like this, the rest of this Jeremiah text, I say to you, do not be afraid, survivor. You who've survived the sword or the terror of death, that lurked around every hallway or street corner growing up. God can find you even in that wilderness and bestow mm. you with favor. Yeah. Do not be afraid, wanderer. If you feel the Lord is far away, for some of you, this is the closest you've been to a church mm. in weeks, months, or years. Do not be afraid because God cares about where you are. And God can appear and come close, even from however far away you've pushed God or perceive God is. Do not be afraid, you who are defeated. You who felt like our collective life and humanity has been demolished to dust as you grimace at the damage being done around our world, in schools, in government halls, in the earth, wondering how much worse will this get? God builds and rebuilds decaying, seemingly destroyed things. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, mourner. You who are nursing fresh pangs of loss today, of loved ones, of dreams, of life as it used to be. God promises you will take up your tambourines again <laughs> and dance with joy. Do not be afraid, barren one. You who know the persistent pain of uprooting and the length of dry, desolate seasons without fresh life in your home, in your family, in your workplace, or even in yourself. God promises fruit-filled vineyards that you will one day enjoy. 
And through Jeremiah, the Lord told this people the source of these assurances. It wasn't because of the people's temporary doing. Even though they'd been invited just a couple chapters earlier to actively seek the peace of the city where they resided in exile. It wasn't because of better policies, more effort, more money, but because of the nature of God's love. Hear God's words to God's people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. These promises of renewal and restoration sourced from God's everlasting forever love and faithfulness weren't just for an ancient people back then. They're for us today as we stand before the empty tomb yet again on April 9th, 2023. They are for the church in the 21st century. Resurrection power is scary, but in Christ, that power disturbs both the status quo and our fears, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sifting them to the surface so they might be seen more clearly. And then we find that that resurrection power, it satisfies. It satisfies our deepest desires that those fears were trying to protect. Resurrection, new life, was what we've been looking for this whole time. Survivor, wanderer, defeated, mourner, barren one. Israel, Mary, we who are witnesses do not stop at fear. For there is good news of the one who conquered the grave and the sting of death. He is still making all things new by his love everlasting. So Mars Hill Bible Church, do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Colossians 3 tells us that we are to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And that is because we can have confidence that we also have been raised with Christ. That that power is not reserved simply for Jesus, but that through the unfailing love of God that Ashley has just witnessed to, we also who are hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God, experience that resurrection power and are raised with him. And that's what we celebrate and we mark when we come to this meal, reminded every single day, but particularly, especially sublimely on this day, that that resurrection power is for all of us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts and let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And let's pray in a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude. How right and a good and a joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And we join our voices with angels, 
archangels, the entire company of heaven who forever surround your throne, singing this hymn to the glory of your name. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who has conquered the grave. Hosanna in the highest. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, in your mysterious way, not simply descend on these elements, but descend on every one of us, might we each experience a taste of that resurrection power today, Might new life be made in us and through us. Be present with us, we pray, God, in this meal. For your glory, strengthen us. Give us what we need. Thank you for your great love for us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, beloved... I share with you that which I have been given. That on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and after he'd given thanks, he blessed it and said, this is my blood. It's a reminder of the new covenant for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. And so, brothers and sisters, beloved, we proclaim now the mystery of our faith that we share with those who are gathered on this day, not just in West Michigan or across a video screen, but around the world. Would you proclaim this mystery with me? That Christ Christ has died, Christ Christ is is risen, and and Christ Christ will come come again. again. All is now ready for those of you who are joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time. We do have our prayer team available to pray with you. We have prayer candles available in the back of the aisles. And all of our elements found in the midst of the aisles are gluten-free. So take your time. All is ready. Receive now who you are, the body of Christ.